0: Hey, folks, we'll talk to Carl Hoffman here in just a second, but I got to tell you about our Patreon page at bobseskashow.com. It's absolutely the best way to support this podcast. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month or as much as $15 a month In fact, if you sign up at the $15 per month level, you'll get our Tuesday and Thursday shows presented without commercials. We take all the commercials out for you. Plus, you'll also get two post-mortem mini-shows recorded after the credits on our Tuesday and Thursday podcasts, and you'll also get the subscription-only after-party podcast on Fridays with its revealing discussions about sex, drugs, rock and roll, and politics. Again, that's Show.com or click the all-caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. And now, let the cartoons begin. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, August 26, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is New York Times best-selling author Carl Hoffman. His new book, Liar's Circus, out September 1, link in the description at bobseska.com, by the way, is an immensely insightful story of a reporter's journey into Donald Trump's MAGA rallies. Carl attended dozens of Trump events across the country and got to know some of the red hat superfans who attended. So, of course, we'll talk about what makes these people such loyalists to a fascist tyrant. And we'll figure out whether they can come back from their brainwashing. Meanwhile, don't forget to support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at patreon.com slash bobseskashow. Okay, let's talk MAGA rallies with the great Carl Hoffman. Carl Hoffman, a man with a thousand times more bravery than I'll ever possess. How are you? <laughs> I'm
1: well, thank you. How are you?
0: I can't put your book down. This is an amazing piece of work. It's an amazing sociological study above everything else. But before we dig into uh, Liar Circus, I want to ask you about the conventions. I mean, having injected yourself into the world of Trump's red hats, how do you think they reacted to both the Democratic convention last week and the Republican convention so far uh, this week? I mean, what does your experience tell you in terms of how all of this is being perceived by these people?
2: Well, I mean, I think the thing you have to re- understand is the depths at which Trump supporters live in a magical kingdom. I mean, there's no better word for it. It's <laughs> just a complete fantasy world yeah. and upside down world, as I say in my title. So, you know, everything that happened in the democratic convention, if they watched, um, you know, is just BS. I mean, it's a fantasy mm-hmm. and everything that the fantastical world that's being spun, uh, currently every night is, uh, the re- is reality. I mean, you know, everything about, Everything that's happening, watching a convention, the conventions right now, is like being at an extended Trump rally. <laughs> and, you know, imagine, imagine if you live in that bubble and if, you're, if you really believe it you know, it's a great world. I mean, imagine Mm -hmm. how awesome it is. You know, it's all white, but no one's a racist. (laughs) You know, it's full of people who think homosexuality is a sin, but rock out to the village people. Yeah, You know, it's, you can be, you can be pro, (laughs) you can be pro union, pro working man, but yet, you know, you support right to work laws that decimate unions i mean it's a complete fantasy so when you're in that world it it, it, if you believe in that it feels great people love it
0: it's like a security blanket for them huh
2: yeah i mean it's more than a security blanket i mean a security blanket but you know it certainly is a security blanket Mm. i mean if you look at people like the whatever their names on is the mccloskeys you know who who who, um you know spoke from their their fancy living room (laughs) Uh, after, you know, pointing guns at people. I mean, there's no greater, it's so ironic, you know, the Trumpians always talk about fear, you know, we're living in fear of fear Mm. of coronavirus, the media's installing this fear, you know, and there's no more greater example of fear than, you know, people who run out and point, you know, lethal weapons at uh, peaceful people chanting, walking past their door. But but it, it, so, yeah, it's a security blanket, but it's more it's like, you know, a blanket kind of makes it sound like, you know, it's just making them comfortable, whereas this is something that is so much more expansive. It's really an yeah. alternative universe.
0: Oh, sure. Sure. And and do you think they realize that American greatness and Trumpism are completely incompatible? I mean, I, I guess the answer is no. I guess the answer would be no. They yeah, don't. They don't understand that. The yeah. answer
2: is no. Yeah. I mean, you know, my vision of American greatness and theirs are pretty divergent. I mean, pretty is an understatement. You know, this idea of, you know, to me, the, the greatest hallmarks of sort of intelligence and accomplishment are curiosity, wonder, openness to the world, the great cultures and societies of the world are ones in which you know that are open to the world and that look at the at the world in the most expansive way Mm -hmm. and the whole kind of ideology of trumpism is the opposite of that is to be is to close yourself off from that world and you know whether it's in trade or it's in immigration or i mean you know everything to me that has made america great so much of it is that openness and the willingness to, you know, let people in who are incredibly, um, you know, eager to escape their own places and make a better world in America. And, you know, that's all very shut down in, in yeah. the Trump's world. And, 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 you know, that goes on and on the idea of truth of, you know, all of the kind of, um, you know everything that's represented by the Enlightenment. You know the Renaissance, mm. yep. reason, logic, truth. You know these things. i mean, there's a passage in the book I think where I'm I'm talking to these people and I just say, you know, what's the difference in the end between a, a priest who who you know calls Joan of Arc a witch and burns her at the stake? And some guy, you know, in the in the 12th century or 15th century or whatever it was, and, and somebody in the 21st century who believes that climate change is a hoax. And, yeah. you know, and the, the answer is there's nothing. There's no difference at all. Mm-mm. You know, and in it's fact... Middle, it's it, it's futile. It's middle age. It, it just seems like
0: they're old enough that they have enough experience. I mean, given the demographics of this movement, that they would recognize the fact that During times of American greatness, we had relatively benevolent and institutionalist presidents in charge. And there's no real examples of a Trump-style character emerging into the presidency and making America great again. It just doesn't seem like it matches. And that seems to be one of the impediments. That seems to be one of the things they're entirely missing Uh, having been indoctrinated into this cult, which I also want to talk about. But, I mean, I think the drive is to recapture that 50s Eisenhower utopia, but Donald Trump and Eisenhower couldn't be more divergent in every possible way, I mean, minus the Gulf. But, I mean, other than that, they're just two different people. Where are they getting this impression from that this guy can make America great? There's no historic precedent for it.
2: Look, Bob. You know we can keep digging and digging, and there's always more <laughs> levels to go to, yeah. but at a certain point, I mean the two big big factors here are that number one, people don't read the news mm-hmm. they read you know their entire and and i'm and and remember in all these things that I'm saying when i say people don't read the news or people you know believe in QAnon, it's not that i'm saying the fringe believes this but mm-hmm. i'm talking about tens of millions of people who form trump's base who you know i had a lot of interactions with the rallies people don't you know over and over again people said things to me like you know i do my own research You know, I, I'm, uh, people can't be, you know, can't be sheeps, can't be sheeples. You have to do your own research. And what that means is they do, they get all of their news from Twitter and from Facebook, from social media, from, you know, from Mm -hmm. somewhat from, I mean, a lot of people don't even watch Fox news anymore. I mean, and certainly, you know, the, 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 and, and you know, exactly how this happened. It, it, you know, I think there's a long road that, you know, the, 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 the GOP and others have been trying to undermine truth for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But when you get into a place like there's a jumbotron screen that is set up at Trump rallies, and it goes on about 7, 7.30 a.m. the day of the rally. And by that time, there are certainly probably usually a thousand people you know in a parking lot and um you know as the day goes on there will be 10 15 20,000 or more people and that jumbotron is on an hour-long loop so it plays over and over and over again and one of the the most haunting things to me of, of many you know there's a lion brad parscale who was his campaign manager was kind of a hero in the trump or was in the Trump ecosphere, you know, and there's a line in him saying the great and this is I'm like I'm quoting, I mean, the greatest threat to American democracy is the fake news. Jesus. And you have and that's just one tiny example. You know, people don't read the newspaper. Yeah. They don't believe that the Washington Post and the New York Times, or the Wall Street Journal, for that matter, um, you know, the Economist, even, they don't read them. Mm
1: -hmm. They
2: don't believe in them. They don't trust them. So when that happens, like I imagine one of the things, as I set off on my journey, I imagined that I was going to be having all of these conversations with people, kind of substantive political conversations in which, you know, we're debating left, right, you know, their view of Trump. And I couldn't have those. I didn't have, I almost never had them because people on the one hand, you know, I read the newspaper every day and then some. And then on the other, you know, these people are telling you that Hillary, that Hillary would kill to win and that John Podesta is in, you know, have you listened to the Frazzle trip video where you can hear John Podesta with the babies moaning and crying uh, out. Jesus. And, you know, I mean, and that's not fringe. That is tens of millions of people. Lately, there's been this kind of come to Jesus moment, no pun intended, (laughs) that, you know, people are like, oh, QAnon is, is, is people are waking up to QAnon, but QAnon's been there, you know, in various forms, pre sort of proto QAnon conspiracy theories are, are deep in, in his base. And, and, you know, those, those are generating the worldview of, of all these people. So they don't have any, that's one thing. Yeah. The, the second part of it is that I think you know, if you drive, I drove over five thousand miles and then some, and then flew a lot too
1: mm-hmm.
2: on this journey through America. And I found a lot of places. You know, a lot of Middle uh, America is a is is a place that's undergoing profound change, and yeah. you know, nature of of work and cult these profound cultural changes. And, you know, I think people sense that even if they can't, I mean, it's not, I think that of course they sense that and they feel it, even if they're not putting their finger on it. And even if they're not articulating these things themselves, they feel this loss. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, white working class men feel it profoundly. They feel a loss of power and privilege and relevance and, and, you know, they feel those things. And then when you get a guy who comes along and who just says anything, Mm -hmm. he lies. And that's what you can see in the convention. Again, right now, it's like, you know, you tell a lie about, you know, not being able to go to your friend's party because you're just tired and you say, well, you know, you have you have to do something with your kids and you feel a little guilty about it. You know, I I feel the same way. You know, Trump has no guilt. That was the thing that struck me the first time I went to a rally in Minneapolis. I sat there and I'm just like overwhelmed by the idea that, you know, he'll say whatever, he'll say absolutely anything. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have any guilt, and you have no shame, and you'll say whatever, then you get this inversion, really, this upside down fantasy world, in which people are hurting, and they're feeling all of these feelings of loss and, and, you know, anxiety about, you know, masculinity, about religion, about work, about, you know, they used to be able to, make a good living with the strength of their back and their hands. And now, you know, that seems under threat. And a man comes in and he says, I'm going to fix it all for you. And they're not reading any real news. And he's telling them that everything they do read is not true. Yeah. You know, it's a total mind screw. Yeah. And it's, and it's incredibly sad and cynical. And the people that I blame more. Than the Trumpians themselves, really, in the end, having spent a lot of time with them, I mean, they bear blame. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but are the you know are Trump and and his and his sycophants who who do know? I don't know if Trump knows better, but you know, people like Mitch McConnell, I mean, they know better. Yeah, They should anyway. And they're the really they just make my blood boil.
0: You know, you mentioned the white working class guys who feel like America has kind of abandoned them. Um, What happens when the promise of Trump in 2016 transforms into the reality of Trump in 2020, where we've got four years now in which he really hasn't been watching out for. White working class Americans, other than to just pay them lip service to be their Pied Piper, but beyond that, in terms of policy, it's been tax cuts for the super rich and so on, uh, not really aiding them, not really fulfilling the dreams that they had in 2016. Like, this guy is going to help us out of whatever predicament we find ourselves in. Has that actually occurred in, in this period of time since 2016? Have they have some of them realized? that he's not the guy they hoped he was going to be in 2016.
2: You know, it, it's the, I wish I had an answer from you, for you. And the <laughs> reality is, I don't know. Yeah. I think there's a level at which, you know, no, I mean, the hardest of the hardcore base loves Trump in a way that it's hard for people, you know, who live in DC or New York or San Francisco to understand on the other hand, you know, to me, the most telling moment of all almost was in Tulsa, you know, when he tried to restart the rally yeah. and only 6,200 odd people showed up. And that told me, I mean, there's no question, the, the, the lack of attendance was not because he didn't appeal to the base anymore. It's not like he'd lost You know, it's not like he couldn't fill a 20,000 seat arena, but people were really worried about the virus, clearly, in my opinion. So I think that's what's been happening. I mean, Hmm. you know, if that that there's a level at which and we're we're already it's almost sort of easy to forget that during the convention right now where we're subject to this fantasy world. But, you know, what COVID has done is show that it was all smoke and mirrors Mm -hmm. in a way that. Um, you know that nothing else could. Now, in the end, and I think you know the hope is that enough people will feel that it's smoke and mirrors. Enough people will be, you know, afraid of will take the virus seriously that they will shift and they won't vote for Trump. I mean, it doesn't take that many. But to the larger issue, you know, what happens to tens of millions of Americans who? feel that Trump was their savior and that, you know, there was this deep state effort to take him down. And, um, you know, maybe there was even fraud and he's gone Mm. and, you know, what happens to them? They're still, you know, in this subject to this great kind of propaganda effort. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know what happens to them. I mean, that's the, that's the million dollar question.
0: You know, you you mentioned uh, a few seconds ago how you racked up thousands of miles on the road, flying, driving. You spent months out there uh, just steeping yourself, ensconcing yourself in the subculture uh, of these MAGA rallies. You also talk about the weight and the burden of facing these people. Uh, At the beginning of one of the chapters, you talk about how you're trying to drag yourself out of your hotel and get over to the rally, um, (laughs) mustering the fortitude to uh, get involved with these people for yet another day. Can you explain how you prepare yourself mentally for this?
2: Well, I think there's sort of a, you know, I'm going to have to do a little bit of a long answer here in the sense that, For me, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about flyover country or, Mm. you know, these people who support Trump as this great, um, you know, as the deplorables or something. And, you know, I had this sense, I mean, I, I didn't know many directly, but I spent a lot of time over the years in a lot of weird places, both foreign ones you know in swamps and jungles all over the world mm-hmm. but also in you know underground coal mines and on uh, uh deep water oil rigs and diamond mines and i've spent a lot of time with a lot of blue-collar people and i like them and mm-hmm. i i have you know and it, so what i found going into the trump ra- the, the trump sort of ecosphere into the circus was that there were a lot of funny people. I mean, you know, they made me laugh and they made me and sometimes I admired them and and mm. on a personal level it was it it well at first it was horrible. I'll just say that. With yeah. my first couple rallies, I was very lost and very feeling very apart and I didn't know and I felt like an imposter and I felt like this spy and I didn't mm. know really what was what and it was this this you know I was in this kind of weird where I almost felt like I was in a cult, but I was trying to resist that cult. And I was texting my kids and my friends kind of wildly <laughs> because I, I needed contact with yeah. the normal world. But you know, by my third rally, I really was understanding the process and I wanted to be in the very front row. You know, I wanted to be with the hardest core of the hardcore super fans. So like in Tupelo, Mississippi, which is my third rally, I got there like 50 something hours before showtime and, um, you know, two whole nights before. And I, and I parked my car in this empty arena lot and I walked around and I found, you know, six, five guys under a little Eve. And and uh, I had met some of them um, in Dallas the uh, uh, week before and they recognized me. And, uh, you know, this guy, Rick Snowden, who's like the the, the the who's been to more rallies than than anyone else, was like, oh, you're number six in line. Hello. Sit down. <laughs> and so I was six in line in Tupelo. And that I sat down and I became friends with those guys. Like, and then it became a kind of a weird, different thing. I mean, I started having fun at the rallies. Like I, I liked these people in a way and some of them more than others. And I liked listening to this. I mean, Rick Snowden is crazy. And, you know, is this like rain man of presidential trivia and and, and dates and uh, you know, this guy, Gail Roberts, who, uh, I'd love to listen to, but he was so crazy. Like he, you know, he found the seven cities of Cibola and, you know, billions of dollars for the gold that he, he found, but he'd left it underground for, you know, humanity. He wasn't touching it cause he wanted to save it for humanity. I mean, this crazy world that was just so kind of mind boggling, but you know, I wasn't alone anymore. Yeah. I was like part of the cult. And hmm. so we would, uh, you know, text and text back and forth and you know, would save me a place in line. And, uh, and that was kind of the middle period. And then toward the end, I got really depressed again, especially sort of after I went up and I made it to the rail, the very front row. I mean, I was always in the front row getting into the arena, but I usually chose to sit in a seat, a good seat, right up as close to the front as possible. Wow. To the floor. But ultimately standing at the rail, you know, just a few feet from the president with the wildest, most hardcore people. And it's incredibly loud. And, you know, it's this sensual assault. You know, as I said in the book, like your hijacks your soul. And I (laughs) felt this real sense of, you know, both suffering, like you have to suffer to stay 50 hours in a, in a parking lot. You know, you suffer, it's cold, Mm -hmm. it's rainy. And yet, in the end, that suffering felt very empty to me.
0: How do you reconcile that between the friendliness and the nuts? Because we're all doing it with members of our own family. We love our dads and our grandparents and our uncles who you know, watch Fox News Channel all day long, but at the same time, they believe these horrible things and they're enabling this horrible regime. And so we're all in the process of trying to figure out how to live with both sides of these people. How did you reconcile that dichotomy?
2: Yeah, for me, it it became pretty clear to me early on that I couldn't really have political discussions that involve back and forth yeah you know they often they they say you know what are you doing here i'd say i'm writing a book on trump's rallies why i'm saying well because he's had more rallies than any other president and they're you know integral to everything about trump and they you know would agree with that and then they'd say well how do you you know where do you come in on this on the where what are your politics and i would say well for the purposes of this i'm being agnostic, I'm here to listen, which was not a lie. It was true. But as I went along, you know, more and more, I realized you couldn't really have a discussion. I mean, once in a while, I would try. And the more time I spent with these guys, you know, the more they understood, I think, that I wasn't a Trumpian. I mean, I never claimed to be. Um, But I think they understood that I was liberal. But, you know, so we didn't really talk about politics. We talked about the rallies and the, you know, for, for, for Trumpians, and and that's even true now, you know, for all of these people, there's a huge social element among, you know, people who feel that they've been maligned and, you know, haven't had their voice, even if it's BS, um, you know, and they feel like hanging out together is this big, important thing. I mean, it's, it, you know, it is cultish. And um, so, you know, hanging out with them like that, you know, in the social milieu, milieu of it all was like, could be fun. But you know, it's like hanging out with your Trumpian uncle, like, you (laughs) you have to make a choice at the dinner table, you know, do you say, do you question them? Or do you just like, let it go? And you know, the only way toward peace is kind of to let it go. That said, you know, I think the thing that struck me so much of it, and I was reading a lot of, you know, a lot of background reading at the time while I was going, you know, about fascism and, and, uh, World War II and, and authoritarians. And, you know, one of the things we forget is that in, you know, in Hollywood, evil is always this sort of over the top character. I mean, the Joker, you know, whose face is painted and has this wild, you know, this crazy evil laugh. And, you know, there's a line which I I, I read um, a reporter who was who flew with Goebbels and I can't remember else in the in the 30s, you know, during the rise of the Nazis and uh, said, you know, they were as nice as can be. You know, they they (laughs) were bending over backwards to help us. And, you know, authoritarians, I mean, you know, Pinochet and and, um, you know, all of these People love their children and they put their children to bed at night and they smile and they they can be kind to people before they pull your fingernails out or send you to the gas chambers. So I think, you know, you go to a Trump rally and you get all of these people like I mean, that's another thing that, that one of the most amazing things about a, a rally is the way that Trump used them to kind of humiliate and control and gain power with the rest of the GOP. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get these people there and they're, they're relatively accessible. Like, you know, everyone from Lewandowski to Matt Getz to Mitch McConnell, you know, Ted Cruz, and you can even you can go up to them and you can say hello. And they hey, put your hand, their hands on your shoulder and they shake your hand and you have your picture taken with them. And but these are the guys who who are the sycophants. These are the people who are the the the, the bricks in the in the in the in the building that is you know threatening American democracy.
0: Mm-hmm. And along those lines, I mean, the word cult has popped up in this conversation. It's popped up in your book all over the place. Uh, is this a metaphor? The word cult because I've used it to describe the red hats and so on uh, over and over again, and I think so many have. Is it a metaphor, or are these people? is there a dynamic that makes this literally an indoctrinated cult of people incapable of thinking for themselves? So on one hand, there's, well, they're kind of like a cult, but, you know, it's more of a colloquial definition. Or is this genuinely an actual cult?
2: I don't know. I mean, I use the word cult, you know, sometimes for sure. Mm. I mean, I think there are limits to just, you know, if, if Jim Jones said, we're all going to drink this poison, you know, if Trump said, we're all going to drink this poison today, you know, we're handing out little red pills at a rally, do it. Would people do it? I don't know. I mean, I think that people are, are pretty, you know, they're, they exist in this artificial world, this, this upside down place, this bubble of misinformation and, um, sort of twisted, you know. As Kellyanne Conway said, "alternative facts," yeah. but I don't know if it's, you know, you have to be careful about um, being too specific about sort of getting jo- Jim Jonesian on on it all.
0: Well, then again, there is the hydroxychloroquine. I mean, he is telling them to take hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. Even though, I mean, that's
2: there we go. There that's pieces, the cool. Though, I mean, you know, that's the piece that you know. I think that 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 is the big unknown is you know if Trump loses what happens then and yeah. you know and and I and you know do to, to, you know there'll be continued you know when tucker carlson is is you know making his incendiary speeches, and you know Trump is making his accusatory demonizing tweets, you know what happens then do people uh um you know continue to follow them or do they? Do they shift? And, and I don't think anyone knows that. I think mm-hmm. a lot of depends on, you know, the virus and economics and what happens with Biden. And, you know, those are just it's it's I think it's hard to know.
0: You know, I want spoke- the
2: stage is set for for, you know, the, 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 the fact that people trust, don't trust science and yeah. truth. I mean, that's the most twisted thing.
0: Okay, we'll get back to our conversation with Carl here in just a second. But unfortunately, COVID-19 infection rates are exploding across the nation. We know it's common sense that everyone wear a face mask. And finally, most states have put mask mandates in place. Face masks are still our best way to protect ourselves, our family and our community. But what happens when the mask you thought you were buying is a piece of crap. The FDA has provided a list of authorized respirator mask manufacturers. Finding those masks has been a challenge and verifying their authenticity even harder. But right now, the NewDealshop.com has FDA-authorized respirator masks with anti-fake authentication on every package to ensure you're getting exactly what you need to make sure that it is safe. These masks are tested by the NPPTL in the United States and provide greater than 95% filtration. Right now, these masks are in stock and ship for free for my listeners when you add the code "sexy liberal," two words. Go to TheNewDealShop.com and order your supply today. That's TheNewDealShop.com. Get them and keep yourself, your family, and your community safe. Thank you.
1: The Bob Seska Show.
0: Yeah, I once spoke with uh, Jen Senko. Uh, she's a documentarian who directed a, a film called The Brainwashing of My Dad, and it's about the impact of Fox News and AM Talk Radio on otherwise normal people. Do you see these people as victims of brainwashing or are they fully lucid about what they've kind of gotten themselves into?
2: Well, I don't think they're lucid in the sense they're not, you know, reading the Washington Post and the and the and the Wall Street Journal every day and and making a conscious choice that they would prefer that they've read all these arguments and they, you know, know that Donald Trump was asking Ukraine to do him favors, you know, political favors. Um, they don't know that. They think he he was a perfect call. So, you know, that's the world they're in. Yeah.
0: It just seems like uh, at least some of them should be aware that there has been something that has changed them from being one thing to another thing. I I imagine the people who voted for Barack Obama in 2012 and then who voted for Donald Trump in 2016, there was something that flipped the switch. And, yeah, do they know what that thing is. I mean, the hypothesis that Jen uh, puts forward in her film is that it's the systematic indoctrination of watching Fox News Channel and listening to Rush Limbaugh 24-7 and steeping yourself in that culture to the point where it does, it changes your values. And I I don't know if they realize that has happened or if they're just merrily going along their way with this... Poison in their heads that's been pumped in by first Roger Ailes and then whoever followed him.
2: Well, I mean, to you know, the the hardest of the hardcore base, I think no. I mean, we'll see what happens in November, right? Do yeah. enough people peel away from Donald Trump and reject that, and have 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 they woken up enough that they're not going to reelect him? But a lot of people, you know. Uh, I mean, no. And the, the thing is, they're not even you know talking about Fox News and everything. A lot of people aren't even look, listening to Fox News. They're listening to you know, QAnon or they're at like, you know, David Reinhardt's Facebook page, you know, looking at the Q clock. I mean, this stuff is how about this woman who was, um, you know, supposed to speak at the Republican convention last night, you know, about uh, the the Rothschilds and, you know, this satanic, you know, anti-Semitism. I mean, here's the thing. You've got a guy, look at Trump when, you know, people at, at Charlottesville, they were people marching through the streets of of Charlottesville bearing torches saying, you know, we will not be, you know, you know, (laughs) unite the right and, you know, we will not be displaced. And I mean, echoes of Nazism and, and Germany. And, you know, these are people, many of the people who, you know, vote for Trump are, you know, hardcore people who, who believe in the greatest Generation. You know, that 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 sacrificed men and women alike to win the Second World War, to defeat fascism. So I can't say that's enough. You know, people are not reading, watching news. The the right has has you know has 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 undermined the idea of truth, and also, you know, it's a con- there's a continual threat towards public education and public government spending. I mean, the more you undermine government and the capability of government to function through, you know, budget cuts, then the the worst government, you know, the the, the least of, of efficient government functions. It's like a self fulfilling prop- prophecy, and this is the world in which people live nowadays.
0: Do they understand on some level that their guy is a fascist tyrant? I mean, full on. But he's their fascist tyrant.
2: No, no, not really. No, no. You know, I don't think so. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's a full wholesale um, suspension of uh, of disbelief.
1: Wow. You know, it's
2: like being. I mean, that's one of the questions. Like, I in the book, I say the rallies are kind of like a a. a, you know, a professional wrestling match versus a boxing match. Yeah. And you could get a boxing match that goes on for 12 rounds uh, and, you know, no one's, there's no knockouts. I mean, mm. there's no TKO. It's just points. It's kind of boring to watch, yeah. even if it's a skillful fight. Whereas a Trump, Trump is all about, you know, jumping off the ropes with a flip and smashing someone in the head with a folding chair and then throwing them out into the arena. You know, it's a more exciting better world.
0: I want to go back to the QAnon thing real quick, Carl, because um, one of my concerns is that QAnon is not just a glitch, but a primary feature of this movement, that it's more prevalent than we'd like to think. Is that the case? Is it really, is this being driven by this conspiracy theory uh, insanity where people drinking the blood of children and all yeah, the rest absolutely. of it?
2: Yeah. absolutely. I mean, you know when i went into this i thought oh these kinds of things like pizza gate were um you know tangential that they were like fringe you know nobody yeah. really believed in them but you know the minute i started going <clears throat> into the rallies it, it was everywhere i mean you know i'd be a, there's a rally of 22,000 people there obviously i didn't speak to 22,000 but every single person i spoke to at rallies almost believes at some level i mean you know qAnon is sort of on the one hand it's kind of this specific Theory, but then it. There are other conspiracy. Mean, you know, all these conspiracy theories are like octopus legs that wiggle and interconnect, and they all believe. You know, I met this woman in Dallas, and you know, she was this struck me as this very level-headed normal woman. And she had traveled, um, you know, to India and the Caribbean and lived all over the United States. And she was educated and professional. And, you know, she seemed smart. And she said, we were chatting and she said, um, you know, and I said to her, well, you know, the thing that really strikes me is the conspiracy theories. You know, I said, I just, I I don't understand, you know, all this conspiracy theorizing. And she said, yeah, well, you know, I don't have 99 friends who committed suicide. Do you? (laughs) And I was like, wait, what? Yeah, I remember that. And then I realized, you know, she's talking about the whole, you know, the Clintons and Vince Foster and, you know, people (laughs) over and over again, you know, they talk about psyops, they talk about, you know, I mean, I mean
0: and she voted for Barack Obama previous to Trump, right? I mean, she was a registered Democrat. She, said and- she
2: worked for, for Obama. Amazing. I mean, you know, and, um, and there's a lot of those people and, and these are like, you know, you can have a nice conversation with these people. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can have a, a fun day with them, but they, they, and um, when somebody starts telling you those things, you know you're just in in complete shock
1: yeah. and
2: that happens all the time you know a trump in trump world and you see it you know at the level of it's it's happening more you know someone like marsha blackman or you know these people who are you know not just crazy foot soldiers, but are people, you know, of power in the Republican Party are, you know, more and more this woman in Georgia uh, espousing this stuff. And they're doing it, you know, I guess I was about to say they're doing it for power, but I don't know. I mean, you know, or maybe they're so blinded by them, by everything themselves. I can't, it, it would seem incredibly cynical to, you know, sort of knowingly, be aware that none of this is true, but to yeah. say it anyway. But I think there's a level of that and it just spins and spins and spins, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's
2: really? It, 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 it's so, it's so all pervasive mm-hmm. and religion. Like we haven't talked about religion, Yeah. but religion is a really, really big part of Trump's base and the whole, Kind of ideology and you know white Protestantism and evangelicalism this sort of end of days millenarianism and you know which dates right back to the Puritans and the founding of America and you know I, Trump plays off of that like in the in the rallies you know you know you, you say what's a what's a an iconic American figure you know, and somebody might, you might say, well, uh, the cowboy, you know, the Marlboro man, but really another one is, you know, the fire and brimstone, preacher who gets up there and says, you know, you're going to die of sin or the devil's going to take you and people faint. I mean, this is not peripheral either to America. I mean, there's been these great awakenings in American history. America was created from one of them when the Puritans came to America and the first great awakening and the second great, these great religious movements in which people flock to preachers and kind of die and are born again, you know, that is very much a part of Trump's base and Trump and a a rally when you're in them. You know, I I, I get my second rally in Dallas, I was sitting there and I, I, I was surprised because I thought that When Trump came out, you know, the lights, the lights are hyper bright, like so bright, there's no shadows. Hmm. And I thought, well, when Trump comes out, the lights would dim and then there would be a spotlight on him. But they never dimmed. They were just as bright. And I said to the woman next to me, I said, you know, I'm surprised that she said, well, it's church. Uh. And And, and that's how it is. And then eventually, you know, I started seeing, you know, people do faint in Trump rallies. Like they, you know, in Sunrise, Florida, um, two people out on, on the floor had to be carried away by him, you know, and he's threatening this horrible painting, a picture of hell and salvation and salvation is, is him. He's the Messiah. And people said to me all over, all the time, you know, Trump is heaven sent. It seems. Can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, Trump's heaven sent. It seems like, and then you know, driving, driving through the country. You know, I listened to hours of uh, of religious radio Mm -hmm. and people talking about you know the tribulation and the rapture and the horse horsemen of the apocalypse. And there (sighs) is this you know incredibly deep strain of of end of days religion and you know if you believe that stuff i mean if you take all this stuff literally then you know it's not a leap to go from you know the tribulation and the rapture to um to QAnon.
0: there was a time carl when i was already prepared i I was looking at all this stuff and i'm going don't they see the grift don't they see that the money that they're giving him goes right into his pocket and he doesn't give a flying rip about any of them Uh, but at the same time i'm going oh but you know what I bet there's a huge Venn diagram overlap between people who give to faith healers and televangelists and people who give their money, give maybe even their life savings, to Donald Trump's campaign. It seems like that's a huge feature, and I'm so glad you brought up the religious aspect of it, because it seems like the conservative movement for at least the last 10 to 20 years, maybe even longer than that, have been really seizing upon that televangelist style to sell their politics to a certain demographic of Americans. That's
2: because it's so ingrained Mm -hmm. in American history and culture. Yep. Yep. It's not, again, it's not peripheral. It's not tangential. It is, you know, the heart and soul of America. I mean, you know, sitting on a hill manifest destiny. Those are, are, you know, I always thought of those as kind of as metaphoric as metaphors, Mm -hmm. but they're not, they're actually specific you know religious protestant calvinistic uh references and you know that the 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 people who created america you know this idea of sitting on a hill of this of this place that was looking to god on the one hand and on but on the other was also you know intimately entwined with uh, mercantilism and with making a profit with capitalism and you know that's the 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 fundamental chord of American religio-culture history. And, you know, the Trumpians tap into that. It's it's really something to see.
0: I mean, maybe religion is the answer to this uh, next question, Carl, but I've never known older people to be this impressionable. It's immensely disconcerting to see, like, our parents, our grandparents, our aunts and uncles— caught up in such adolescent hero worship i mean where does this come from is this part of the religious kind of televangelist following uh uh, aspect of all of this that these people are so drawn in by this guy who for four decades was nothing but a punchline and a cartoon character to most of the country i don't understand the connection there
2: look what you have to understand is that there is genuine you know um There is a genuine sense of loss and dislocation in this country among millions of people. And you can have no you can say, I don't really give a shit about those people. And I don't want to I don't sympathize with those. But the fact is, there are tens of millions of people, whites there. We're talking about whites who, you know, are feeling everything that they we're raised in and believed in, whether it's gender identity, whether it's you know religious versus secular life, Whether it's, uh, you know, uh, people who made things with their hands and who worked and who, whether it was in a coal mine or a factory or a steel mill, you know, when the day that that you need more money, you just work harder, you work an extra shift, you work a weekend, you know, and you make money. And I met a lot of people like that. And, you know, these are men and they didn't matter how much education they had. They could make a living doing it. And they had, you know, wives, women who supported them. And, you know, ironically, a lot of these women have had to go to work, you know, as teachers or nurses and, but they still believe in this old fashioned um, kind of, uh, you know, gender identity. And, um, you know, they're all those people and they feel lost and dislocated. I mean it's true you know when you when you say somebody like um, you know Hillary Clinton says we're going to put coal miners out of business, even if she didn't quite mean it the way it was it was tagged, you know I mean I have a riff in the book about coal mining I mean coal mining you know coal miners are heroes. There's a reason why, you know, there's no comparison between a a coal mine, you know, working in an underground Appalachian coal mine and working in a service job at um, Walmart or Whole Foods or any kind of, you know, if you're a coal miner, you risk your life every life and death every single day and you exhaust yourself and you live because all of your colleagues, most of whom are men are looking at your back and you're looking out for each other. And every day you come out of that mine, you've survived and, and, you know, you're, you're producing power for America and you're getting well paid for it. And, you know, that there's a reason why there's been so many, you know, movies and songs and, and, you know, this, this about coal mining. Yeah. And those, and, and, and I think that, you know, I mean, us pencil necked Easterner, you know, coastal (laughs) white collar people need to understand that. And, and, you know, and, and this rift between it that's, that's happened in American culture and society will not be healed until people understand, until people like us, you know, pay attention to those people and, and try to understand their pain and their suffering, even though they should know better, you know, they're, they're people who who don't give anyone else, you know, they don't give urban uh, uh, black people a uh, much of a, a, you know, a chance. And they're always saying, you know, that, you know, we don't want to give more handouts to them, you know, but You know, still these people are hurting. And until we and Trump, you know, rolled in on a white horse. Listen, listen, you know, I'm I was in in a part the parking lot in Mississippi and a man pulled up, you know, a a 55 to 65 year old white man in coveralls and driving a pickup truck who had been help setting up the fencing. Mm -hmm. So he was working in the arena and he, you know, people, a group of people who were, who I was with, started chatting with him. And he said to me, you know, I would walk behind Donald Trump and pick up his poop. (laughs) Jesus. That's how much I love him. And this is a, you know, a, a tough blue collar man. That's how much people love him. You know, you have, there's, there's a moment of silence at a rally and, you know, out of the, 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 the scrum will come this voice, this gruff male voice. I love you.
0: Hmm. Jesus.
2: People love him because they feel this loss and confusion. It's vertigo. And because no one was really addressing, felt that no one was addressing them. And Donald Trump came along and did. And they love him for that. And it's so sad that you know he's a liar that he's not addressing that instead of um you know addressing their needs he passed a tax cut for for wealthy people
0: it seems like what needs to happen carl is it <laughs> I understand the humanity of these people, but at the same time, I feel like this is a movement that needs to be put down in some way insofar as if it's allowed to flourish, if it's allowed to grow, then it's basically doom for our democratic republic. I mean, it's basically the end of the story. So do they come back from this? Is it possible to retrieve them from the cult, to deprogram them from all of this?
2: Well, I don't know, but I think that the person that, that, you know, I don't think you do it by beating people over the head. I just, I don't believe that. I don't believe that for the left. I don't believe that for the right. I believe that the wonder of humanity is that we're all very different and that we can believe lots of different things that we all don't have to agree and that, you know, people are going to have to come along I and mean, I don't know that Biden is the one but who can begin to address the 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 ails of this country yeah. and you know the the things these people are worried about i mean the decline of manufacturing in particular you know which is not all just globalism i mean it's it's you know complicated it's it's uh you know it's it's technology and all so many things and You know, the people who can begin to address those things in a very holistic and far seeing and compassionate way are people I hope that could kind of, you know, uh, inspire people to feel like, you you know, that they can that they can. Uh, kind of leave the confines of conspira- of, consp- of the cult of conspiracy world. Yep. I mean, I think that we have to understand that, you know, things like QAnon and all these things exist and they're allowed to flourish because people are, I believe, I mean, I could be wrong, but, you know, because they're really um, uh, disaffected yeah, in so many ways. And, well, you know, technology, I mean, we're all just grappling with Technology and Facebook and all of these things that yeah. nobody was even really understanding four years ago.
0: Hmm. Well, let me ask you two more questions real quick. These are quick questions, Carl. Uh, do they not know that YMCA is a gay anthem? Do they
2: not understand <laughs> that? What? I don't think they do. I don't. I mean, this is just, you know, it's like it's a complete. Um, you know a rally is filled with just this unbelievable music that's incredibly loud yeah. and it's um and it's relentless and i had <laughs> thought that you know my expectation going into a trump rally was that this was going to be you know, it was going to be filled with sort of sappy country music, and that's not true. It's all the music. You know, I'm a baby boomer. I mean, it's all the music of my youth. I mean, it's Rolling Stones and Queen and Man. you know Tina Turner and the Village People, and and it's and it's really incongruous. And you know, the the you know you, the Village People comes comes on at 10,000 decibels, and <laughs> you know 20,000 people get up and pantomime the words ymca with their arms and rock and sing and you know right before mike pence comes out (laughs) unbelievable you know but that is the circus that has been created that's the upside down world and that's a good metaphor for the whole you know for everything about um trump and what he's been doing and trying to do
0: and and having been to so many of these rallies carl i have to ask you what is the one thing that he does during these rallies that you are most sick of that you never want to see donald trump ever do again
2: well the sickest thing i mean there's so many you know where do you start i, mean, <laughs> I, I know lies, it's a lo- loaded the,
0: question i know
2: <laughs> the thing that really amazed me Yeah, was when, and I saw it over and over again, but it really hit me in Dallas the first time when he, you know, he, in the middle of his spiel, come out and he starts t- talking and doing his thing. And then at a certain point he pauses and he starts introducing uh, people who have come, you know, the the and in any given rally, if it's in Texas, you know, Ted Cruz will be there, Rick Perry will be there, you know, all of the GOP Texas delegation, and then down ballot people will be there, um, and 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 he'll introduce them, and before everyone, he will uh, tell a little story that always involves um, besting them humiliating them and then their, their loyalty. And, you know, he did this thing with Ted Cruz about Ted being the debate champion of Harvard and Princeton and, and, you know, but Donald Trump, he just liked to play baseball. He'd never been in a debate in his life, you know, but he (laughs) crushed Ted Cruz. He humiliated him and Ted Cruz is, you know, literally below Um, Trump, because Trump's up on the dais, and Trump, I mean, (laughs) Ted Cruz kind of has to smile and wave as Donald says how much he crushed him, and that just shows to me that really spoke to, and that it grew, like in Manchester, New Hampshire, I mean, there were you know, Mitch McConnell was there, Lewandowski was there, you know, Jared Kushner was there, Ivanka was there. I mean, all these people were there and, mm-hmm. you know, it was really, it, it reminded me of this scene in, uh, you know, the great Polish journalist, Richard Kapuscinski's book about Hale Selassie, the emperor of uh, Ethiopia about mm-hmm. loyalty and how everything came down to loyalty and to, you know, being a subject of the, of the man, of the Messiah, of the yeah. King who's heaven sent, and and you see that over and over again. And it's really frightening. That's when you see Trump's, you know, this this urge and need to dominate other people and for authoritarianism and yeah. this idea that, you know, you just see it. You feel this this urge to power and this absolutely you know, unconcerned for rules or morals or any of the guardrails that, you know, have kept America, America.
0: I think my thing, uh, Carl, is the sir stories. I hope I never again when he's gone, I hope to never hear another sir story, sir. He always does the sir stuff. Oh, my God.
2: So, you know, he always tells the story about how much he loves when people just call him Don, Donald, because everyone's all the sir. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: (laughs) The book drops on September 1st, Liar Circus by the great Carl Hoffman. Thank you so much for joining me today. Good luck with the book, and I hope this year is the uh, last time anyone will have to cover these things.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome, Bob. Thank you. Uh, Take care.
0: Thanks so much, Carl. Take care. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye.